also going to use this font. That was going to be. What was this for? This one was for messages. Yeah. And then that one was for portal. That's the portal there. So I can do the things on here. Right. Let's have a look. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, salatu wassalam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Alhamdulillah. So just want to make sure that everything is working here because obviously we're down on manpower them in quarantine, isolation. I'm only surrounded by my family and one other adopted family member, yani, but that's very reluctantly. Um, but uh, we're trying our best. I don't know if this is going to come out good or work because normally we have a whole team of people who do this and now we're on my Jack Jones using the lads. So just let me know that you guys can uh, see everything and that everything is working. Just give me a shout in the comment section. I don't even know how I'm doing this, but let me just have a look here. I need to put my sound down, won't I? Because that's going to start screaming. Let me just check here. Nope, that's not showing comments. All right, that's great. It's a fail. Let's have a look at this. Okay, that's not showing comments either. Yep, LP is looking good. Facebook is that? Is that working? Facebook. Uh, it's fine on Facebook. Yep, I can hear. I can see Burhan. All right, and Mido. A sick name, Mido. Remember Mido. Egyptian. Mido, you fish the footballer, Egyptian. Miss play, play for Middlesbrough. Honestly, custom. Anyway, right, uh, right, everybody. By the way, this is a fail in terms of um, questions and stuff. All right, folks. Alhamdulillah. So those on uh, Facebook um, are really, uh, if you like, uh, no, they are not really. Yeah, they're definitely taking a liberty on. Um, the brothers and sisters on the um, on the portal, so you're piggybacking onto our class. Now our class um, is on fiqh, and it is detailed fiqh, and it's comparative fiqh, even though it's based upon a text by the Hanbali school. The class is called logical progression, um, but today we're not going to be going so detailed. We're going well. We're going to be going detailed, but into a number of uh, issues, not the detail within the legal aspects of the issues themselves, um, so that we can maximize this time because I don't like to uh, steal from the, the logical progression students who take absolute priority. And um, when it comes to, uh, as my students, they're my number one focus, um, but they recognize this is a very important uh, subject. And obviously, they're affected by it as well. All of the LP students are living all over the world. Um, and it's a lot more international than you may think. And um, there's a number of issues. Now, yeah, it's true that um, I'm going to focus on some stuff which is almost, um, well, yeah, any more prevalent in the UK. But I do want you to know that, um, and I need to add that caveat, because a lot of the rulings that are by government, by law, that are affecting the fiqh of this, all right, they are, um, they change from in America from state to state, from federal to whatever, and then in the UK, 
there's um, a understanding that each local health authority in each of the different regions, they've also got that kind of lack, uh, that kind of a flexibility as well. And so therefore, um, and so therefore the, uh, um, the answers need to be tailored to your own specific situation. So for, I'll give you an example, the, the videos that I've been recording or the video that I recorded a couple of days ago, which obviously now uh, then I was uh, a, a number of people actually contacted me and said that, you know, you're, you're scaremongering. Um, now, obviously, people are going back on that uh, from the UK, but from America, they're still, uh, you know, saying you're scaremongering. And I get that because in the US, um, it's a different whole, uh, it's a different ball game. There's a lot more uh, respect for uh, people's rights from a, from, a faith, from a faith point of view. Obviously, America go big on the whole Christian scene and then faith itself. And um, so a lot of the kind of restrictions do not kind of apply. And that's going to, um, I don't know, that's going to definitely uh, have an impact in the actual fiqh itself or the, or the, or the, or the answer itself. Um, now, what, where do I want to start? Okay, this is going to be an open session. So on the LP portal as well, folks. Um, you can uh, you can uh, jump in with uh, questions whenever I see them, and these guys only spot them. But the class is going to be given to everybody in general. So what I want to really uh, start off this this class actually, um, what I really want to focus on is the National Burial Council here in the UK um, and its guidelines. The National Burial Council is uh, an organisation that uh, is chaired by Mohammed Omar who is also the uh, the lead guy at the Gardens of Peace, this huge Muslim cemetery, great project in uh, London, and uh, a number of other uh, brothers uh, and scholars who help him. And um, what he's been able to do is set up this council, which is basically the, uh, the kind of the overarching or kind of provides oversight, at least, for the um, other regional, um, what I call MFDs, the Muslim Funeral Directors. So what that effectively is, is that every masjid that has a ghusl facilities, just let me give you a, 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 a little explanation of what happens if someone passes away. If someone passes away, then there's a process where they go to the mortuary in the hospital, the body is put in freezer, in storage, and then the doctors are then informed to write a, a sign off on the death certificate to confirm time, details, cause of death. If there's anything suspicious, then there's post-mortems or there's able to be x-rays get around that. And then they call the Muslim funeral services of that area. It's very straightforward unless the family themselves take control of it. They're normally there in the last moments, whether it's a hospital or a hospice. And then they then, uh, you know, might have a favoured uh, particular uh, masjid that they go to. And then they would then ask them to go and pick up the, the body. Not every masjid has this facility. It's actually quite a difficult process because a full, fully equipped masjid would have uh, storage facilities for the body, uh, for refrigeration facilities for the body. That would be pre, okay, and sometimes post as well. Yeah, and meaning receiving the body before ghusl and then just after ghusl as well. Uh, an example would be if you receive it in the morning and you need to, or you receive it in the night time, sorry, and we're going to do the ghusl and pray on it at dhuhr time the next day. So it would need to be refrigerated. Then, so that needs space and equipment and whatever. Then you'd have to have the area for the ghusl, the ghusl facilities itself, which is not straightforward. You'd need to have like a wet room completely uh, uh, and even uh, ideally with the HEPA fil filtration with, with, with respect to the air um, uh, uh, flow and, 
and uh, you know all this kind of stuff, and um, it would uh, then have after the washing, it would then need a storage space as well for the family to come and see before it's then put in the masjid to be prayed over and so on. So that masjid that's got a full system. Those are big Islamic centers, then they'll be able to pull off everything. Some masajid have storage and refrigeration, but not washing facilities. Others have washing facilities, but not storage facilities. And so in the local area, those are the ones that can deal with, with things. People kind of, uh, you know, direct their, their deceased to these areas. Um, the National Bureau Council acts as an oversight to them. There's no legal uh, teeth to the body. There's no regulatory status to the body. It has a very good relationship with Public Health England uh, and the government. And there are various countries have this kind of, uh, you know, overarching body. Now, the National Burial Council Shura panel um, uh, has written a document. Um, the document was written by myself and uh, Mufti uh, Zubair, uh, Mufti Zubair Bhatt from uh, Bradford who is also the chairman of Al-Qalam Sharia panel, of which I'm the vice chair. And we have Maulana Yunus Dudwala. And we have put together the guidance that we believe should be followed in consultation with the medical experts, the pathologists that we have uh, connections to, the Public Health England and their health policy with respect to just in general and then specifically for uh, the COVID response. And then our practical experience, meaning uh, obviously our Islamic rulings, but then our practical experience from what we think is actually achievable, which is a very important aspect as well, because fiqh needs to work too. It can't just be, um, you know, just apply the rules when it's not uh, easy or possible to do that. So um, let's start from the very, very top. Um, is the body, is this a, just a normal uh, a, a scenario where you just, you know, you just uh, uh, bury or you just uh, deal with the body like you would with any normal deceased. By now, you know the answer is no. The answer is no, not necessarily because the body is infective, okay, or contagious, but because there is a lockdown um, in general in society, but a specific lockdown in the hospitals themselves. The hospitals cannot be having lots of family members and, uh, you know, uh, the a possibility of infection and a lack of control in terms of movement and the numbers and obvious reasons that you know. So that's creating a very difficult situation, which is what I've been recording videos about recently, because this is real, it's true. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, you would have heard of the, the passing of our uh, one of the, 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 the first uh, 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 Muslim victim in Cheadle. We already had one in Manchester a couple of weeks ago, which is when I recorded the first video explaining this was going to happen. Since then, we've had a good number of the, um, I don't think it's got to 100 yet, but we're in the high dub uh, double digits. Um, and a lot of them, yeah, and maybe it can be argued that the majority of them are in London. A lot of them are being uh, buried at the Gardens of Peace. So now that we're in, we're understanding a few things that the different health authorities are having different rulings. Uh, some are agreeing with Public Health England, some aren't, some are following um, uh, like uh, international policies of health and others are actually just panicking. They are just straight out panicking. So, uh, you know, you can imagine if a local, if a, a local hospital um, that, in, that is in a local area or health authority, they are overwhelmed. They will not be as, you know, as um, they won't execute the directives as they might in a normal case and they might just want to get rid of the body or they might you know be a bit lax in certain areas so this is what you need to always remember that whatever the guidance is is based primarily on public health england 
but it might be forced out of your hands in a situation where there is a lot of uh, rush or there's some kind of problem or whatever. Anyway, with that in mind, I want to uh, go through the guidance notes and there will be a summary paper that will be released um, that will kind of summarize this for the public use. But I'm hoping, and I really am hoping, that this video it gets into the hands of those Muslim funeral directors and those masajid that are involved in the washing. It is essential, actually, that they see this video, not just because of the fiqh, because many of these masajid are not ready, uh, uh, neither practically, uh, they need mental preparation, something which I'll talk about later on, uh, about what happened today when we did the uh, janazah and the ghusl for uh, Haji Tamur, uh, rahimahullah, and there is the uh, practical preparation actual from a physical, from a PPE point of view, personal protective equipment point of view, and the experience with that. So um, the first thing is, is that when we pick up the body, when the body is called and death is noted, um, uh, almost, almost always the family will not be present because it's not allowed for the family to be waiting in the hospital. Um, I need to pause from the fiqh and, re and again re-emphasize what I've been saying for the last few weeks. That is something which is out of our control. Uh, listen, my own students know this very well. I am a very big realist when it comes to issues of death and whatever, whatnot. I don't can take death that seriously. I'm not the guy to lament and cry my eyes out that thousands die, whatever, whatnot, because we all have to die. The amount of people that are dying every day, especially from the Muslims, especially from the way I see life in a, in a very different way to many people who are a little bit more emotionally connected. I'm not that emotional when it comes to these particular issues. So don't think that I'm just trying to you know, emphasize it for some personal basis or from some narcissistic kind of angle. I'm saying this because I do recognize that one of the biggest problems in our community is the amount of uh, friction and broken relationships that we have. And um, obviously my class that, that's most popular in this issue is called Protect This House. Protect This House is a class where on, it's basically split into two halves. It's the rights of our family and how to deal with those rights how to execute those rights when our parents and with our uncles and with our cousin, with our brothers and sisters and children, they are the relationship is very bad. There, there is, there's been abuse or there's been issues or there's been you know other challenges from significant ones to insignificant ones. Maybe one side doesn't want to, the other side doesn't want to. Maybe both sides don't want to. And what's the Islamic ruling on these kind of scenarios? How do you fix it? What happens when uh, your parents have been very bad to you? Do you carry on and how far do you try and so on? It's a huge area of fiqh. And that's half the class. Another half is in parenting. This class, Protectors House, is the most popular class that I teach and the Al Maghrib Institute has. And it's now obviously online for another week or, or two as well, which you can find at the Al Maghrib uh, website, which is important right now because a lot of people now being cooped up with the family are recognizing just how uh, significant this subject is, how difficult it is to deal with on a, on a, on a regular basis. And... Um, uh, uh, they need solutions. Now, this class, I'm not going to repeat that. That's a whole class. It's a whole week. It's over 30 hours odd. You can go and watch that, study that, and learn from it properly. But what I will give you is a summary. And that is that the majority, if not every single family, has some kind of problem that deserves um, attention, that requires people to make sacrifices, for people to, for people to swallow their pride. In my, uh, in my culture, in my language, we say, meaning which is to lower your shoulder don't give it the big end but lower your shoulder and take the hit uh, uh, humble yourself apologize give the person what they want 
leave it because yani, it's only the dunya. This kind of you know, big man thinking, big man thinking. So that's what normally has to solve these issues. Um, and again, I don't want to get caught up because it's a huge subject. But my point is, is that if there is now a very real risk for every single one of our generation, and I know that we're not immune, the younger folks are not immune, although I'm not young anymore, but the uh, uh, younger folks are certainly from, a, uh, from a, um, a, fatality, a fatality rate, they have the lowest percentage, even less than 1%, and the uh, plus 60, plus 70, plus 80, they're in the 10, 15% fatality. Uh, that makes every single one of us having the risk of one of our family members who are elderly, whether it's an uncle or auntie or a grandparent or a, a, a parent, um, at great risk of passing away. And if you are, if they are in isolation and you're away from them, you're not able to connect at the moment, you're not able to speak properly at the moment. If they become ill, they'll be taken in, you will not be able to spend significant time with them at that time. It is not a condition that is a silent relaxed killer it is a painful process and they're not able to they need to be in certain, certain cases need to be intubated as well which means they need to be put on a machine they can't breathe they can't speak so communication is not going to be possible doing the talqeen which is to encourage them to say la ilaha illallah another thing which is not going to be possible so there are a lot of major things that we've all been planning for and preparing for and that we should be encouraging all of the muslims to be getting involved with establishing adhkar reciting the quran creating an atmosphere and this is all from the fiqh of death, which subhanAllah, the irony, the irony, the irony of, of things is that that's the class that I'm going to be teaching over the next few months everywhere. And look at what happens, subhanAllah. The, um, the environment that we want to create, the positive environment for the believer to be hopeful for the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that last moment, we're not able to uh, provide. And in the vast majority of cases, don't talk to me about exceptions. You know, if someone knows a doctor and he's his personal friend and they sneak him in and they disguise them, and don't talk to him, don't talk to me about that, okay? Because even today, we were able to, uh, you know, there, there is always ways that you can do certain things, but it's never going to work for everyone all the time. So, again, if you've not fixed major issues and you separate on that, on that note, that's a disaster. That's a catastrophe from a sin point of view, from a yani, regret point of view for the rest of your life, from how you even, how you even get over it. I don't even know. Yani. So uh, uh, again, I take the opportunity to, to remind you, this is a moment to do something which is obligatory anyway, in health, in the good times, in the wonderful moments, in ease where everything is open. It's a massive obligation, let alone where we're in a crisis moment First time in history that anybody has seen anything like this at this scale, where death is a very real possibility or severe illness for a lot of people. And if we don't think it's important right now, and if we think that a reminder to this, a very stark reminder to this is scaremongering, then good luck to you. I am scaremongerer in chief. So when the person passes, then the family will be informed. And the center uh, that has been uh, uh, notified to the head of bereavement services in the hospitals, they will also then contact that, that specific centre. Unless the family, and I hope that this, is, this can work, unless the family can get in and say, you know what, I'd like you to contact this or I will call the bereavement services and they will come and pick up the body. That's important, okay? Because not all of the masajid that have services are going to be following MBC protocol, the protocol that we've written. And that is important, as you're going you're gonna to realise in a second. So the body at this moment in time, is being presented in most cases in a body bag. And this body bag is a sealed body bag, which is waterproof. 
and um, the body bag itself is not being given because the body is infectious. The current understanding of the vast majority of the world's leading pathologists and uh, Centers for Disease Control. So the CDC, for example, in America, which is obviously very famous from every movie on the planet, but it actually does exist in real life and they do have actual authority. Um, and then the European Center for Disease Control, the Royal College of Pathologists in the UK, um, everyone that I consider to be an expert in this area believes that the, the risk from the body of infection is minimal. Is it possible? Yes. And I want you to know um, what does it mean that is possible for infection to occur? The virus, okay, that we've been uh, looking at, we know that it hangs around uh, on surfaces and in the air as well. Person coughs, you've got to expect, uh, you know, everybody's lots of doctors telling this and whatever. I have to say I'm a massive fan of subscription to professional uh, journals. And that's what I follow. I follow peer-reviewed evidence and... I don't care about any, what anybody else says. And I do all my own research. I don't like copying anything. And I check resources myself as much as possible. So the evidence and of the study, which is a primary study done in China, which everybody is using, and they present it as a secondary reality, but I'm talking about the primary source, said that it, there is an, a viable titer. A titer is an amount of, of viral material to infect within three hours in airborne environments, Copper has got some ajib quality. If you are, if you know, if you really want to protect yourself, go outside in a copper suit. Okay, it's got a reduced half life on copper, but only four hours for some reason. I don't know how, why. Cardboard and some surfaces only for a day. But the real problem is plastic and steel, solid surfaces. It seems to at least three days. Its half life is there, and you can get the, uh, the potential. So basically, you're looking at a potential infection of three. So you double like nearly a week. And that's why all surfaces that we touch, that's why you've got the whole washing hands thing. Now, the real big elephant in the room is the what is the length of time it stays on skin, whether the skin is healthy and living. And then when the skin is dead, meaning the, the person is dead, then all the organs start to close down. And of course, the skin is an organ as well. And it changes in its uh, uh, features, its elasticity goes, its uh, uh, nature of absorption goes. So it has a real uh, material change. Uh, two, in terms of its um, uh, 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 characteristics or, 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 as, a, or, as a surface. So we don't know. And now comparing, so first of all, we don't know how long it stays on the skin. And then we don't know how to compare between living skin and, and, and dead skin or the, or the cadaver, the dead person. All right. But so far, the studies suggest that the skin is not infective. So actual skin so doing, touching the skin itself is not infective. However, nobody's ever going to say that or take the risk. And that's why you're always going to be wearing gloves, whatever happens. So then the real question is, where does infection even come from then? From a deceased um, victim. It comes from the bodily fluids. So when you do ghusl, of course, the sunnah way of doing ghusl, the actual sunnah, is to not just wash the body, but to give gentle massaging, like you're scrubbing, clean, because you're actually, you're giving, you're honoring the body. You're going to, wash it properly, you have to evacuate obvious contents, for example. So you'll often, and I know this isn't, you know, uh, I hope you're not eating your food and stuff, but you will evacuate the orifices from the private parts as well. So it's a messy job as well. And you would clean mouths and you would clean the nose and, you know, and this is exactly the bodily fluids where the virus can be dormant and it could, or, uh, or present. So there's a, an infection risk. Now, again, you cover yourself with gloves there. 
But what happens if it's splashing back? So if it touches infected bodily fluids, which have to be assumed to be infective, so the body itself isn't infective, the body itself is not a problem. But if you do procedures to the body, and these procedures are called um, AGPs. Now AGPs is uh, any action which is AGP, aerosol generating procedure. So um, you can imagine when a, when a pathologist or you know, in a post-mortem or a surgeon, when they cut open and blood squirts out, or when you're rubbing and there's debris going, or the dentists who are the mesquines on the front line who have been complaining all this time that they've been given no PPE. And the irony is, is that they are actually the ones who have been most at risk and the biggest spreaders of it because there's nothing more AGP than sticking a drill in your mouth, which is filing down your tooth and creating thousands of small fragments, which is going absolutely everywhere with saliva on it, with nice basically parcels of virus going absolutely everywhere. So you can imagine that any AGP is going to create a splashback and a release of the, uh, the, the, the formites, if you like, uh, or the infective, in, the infective particle of, the, of, of viral matter. And that is where the discussion is, that if water is put onto the body and it splashes on the skin, is it able to then uh, uh, get infected material from the uh, nasal passages and the oral mucosa and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So that's the thinking behind that. There's also another uh, theory as well that sometimes if the temperature is very, very uh, strong in the uh, bag and the bag is very, very sealed, then it can swell because of gas and there could be some evaporation from the uh, internal surfaces. And But my point is, is that as far as we know right now, the vast majority of health, author uh, health authorities following Public Health England and their experts have said the body is not infective. That therefore means it is absolutely obligatory and it is the right of the believer to be given a proper ghusl. Now a ghusl means to wash the body, in the, and by the way, I'm not really going to be going into details of things that you should know already or that are part of other classes because I'll be releasing videos on how to do ghusl later and all the rest of it. But just the talking about procedure here and the, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 thing, the, the things that are controversial at the moment, the things that are got, people are confused about. So we have this, um, the, 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 the health authority the, or the morticians in the mortuary, hospital mortuary, yes, they're all fully PP'd up and they will come and they will give you the, uh, uh, what's it called? The, um, uh, the, the, the cadaver in a body bag. And they are happy for you to open. They will say to you, once you take it, then you can open it up in your in your funeral home to the to the non-Muslims, or the or or the where they do beauty beauty work and all the rest of it, or they will give it to the Muslims and they will go and you can wash it. So we are being allowed, as it stands, to do that. I want you to know that the vast majority of health authorities have not stipulated that you are not allowed to open the body bag. The coffin must be sealed. Blah blah blah. Now that might change. What would make it change? Time, capacity. So at the moment, it's like one a day, th three a day in the various local health authorities. By projections, in a week or two, we could be a hundred a day in a local uh, health authority over two or three hospitals. When you've got bodies then stacking up, piling up, then the situation is very, very different. And there might not be time to be able to do this and that and uh, all ends, whether it's the porters to the to the, to, the, to the mortuary and then the morticians preparing the body signing off on the paperwork yeah, I need to give it to the uh, uh, Muslim funeral directors and then them taking it away and then the capacity to be able to go and wash it and I'm going to speak about that because 
You know just how the doctors are terrified about this and they have the full right to be, that they are being put in a position where you have coughing, spluttering, dying patients, viral matter going absolutely everywhere. And everybody knows that there are potential serious consequences for catching COVID, let alone taking one important frontline worker out of the NHS uh, frontline defense against the, the, the virus. And they've been given, you know, those lame uh, dentist type of uh, surgical masks, you know, rubbish ones, uh, you know, basically like the tissue one. And they've not and they've got, you know, open uh, glasses as opposed to suction ones that are solid and creating a seal. And um, the uh, they don't have gowns, for example, or um, just ap aprons. And full PPE, full, I want to show you a very nice, um, while, while we're preparing this, okay, let me show you this uh, picture and let's see if it comes up on the um, screen, let's see if you can, right, right, so if you look at this, yeah, so on one side, can you see that she's wearing like nothing on her head? I think, and she's wearing a bluish kind of um, uh, thingy, surgical mask, and she's wearing a little apron, little dinky apron, and that's it. On the right-hand side, she's wearing an N95 respirator, which is a proper uh, face mask that is sealed around the sides, creates a seal, and, um, and uh, allows them to breathe. And she's got goggles on, which are completely sealed, suction. She's got a full waterproof, full sleeve gown which then goes into the gloves as well which ensures therefore that there's a seal at the gloves too now that on the right hand side or left hand side whatever the angle is towards you that is that is how you should be when you are involved in frontline or in terms of washing and so on okay and the other one the other one is um, and the other one is just what you have normal. And that's what people are doing. And today, I'm not even going to lie, uh, straight up, the uh, ghusl that was being done or trying to be attempted uh, with our uncle today was on the, the, the other side. No gown, just a bodysuit, the one that you use, you know, in doing painting and home decorating, that kind of see-through kind of material, the one that rips. Yeah, you know what I mean? And uh, not waterproof in any way. Simple surgical gloves, not nitrile. Uh, what ones are the nitrile ones? Nitrile ones are the thick ones, isn't it? So, you know, there's a guy sitting there who wears a glove, maybe about 50 gloves per day, hasn't got a dally. This is my point. That's why I don't care about any person and any experience. I just deal with it myself. You and just behave yourself. So, the, um, uh, and, you know, so this uh, uh, is what we expect a person to be wearing, that, that kind of equipment. Now, I know I'm going all over the place, but I'm trying to cover the issues that's going on right now because at the moment there's a push in the UK and it's very disappointing that the body's infected, so you can't open the bag, so don't yani, consider anything else. This is a gross, irresponsible approach to the obligation of the, the ghusl of the believer. He, has a, a, he or she has a divine right to be washed uh, um, and it's an obligation, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, when the man came and was uh, passed away in Hajj, yani yani go and wash him, and bilma was sidr, yani with water and with the uh, the perfume or the soap, if you like, sorry, the soap from the lotree, and 
which today you can use any, but I'm not going to want to get into the fiqh of that. And of course, um, so many hadith actually, there's no dispute of the obligation of uh, ghusl. This is in normative circumstances where there is no complete chaos, where there is no pile up, where there is no rush, where you do have the full PPE. Okay. Now, if you do not have the PPE equipment and you do only have basic stuff, then we can talk about that. And that's then obviously you now have you do not have the ability to do the ghusl properly. So now I want to give you the order of how it would work. What is the order that you must try to do? Then what comes next? Then what comes next? Then what comes next? And you'll see a lot of documents that have been going around, a lot of fatwas that have been going around. And to be honest, most of them are deficient in detail. And I think that's mostly because they've not been involved in the process or they don't have a medical background, etc. So first of all, the body should be taken by the Muslim funeral directors out of the morticians back to the masjid this is our directive and back to the or the masjid or the uh, the ghusl station wherever that is and the body should be given a full ghusl according to the sunnah there is no reason right now to believe that there is any problem this is of course with full PPE Wellington boots waterproof thick gown or whatever and yes these are expensive and yes they're one time use only and yes each area needs to tell their council who are obligated to provide them. Now, they might not be uh, providing them right now because it's a shortage, but those supplies are coming in. It's a priority to frontline and then to the bin workers and to those that are car carrying clinical waste. This is what I heard from Manchester City Council today. And then it comes down to those that are involved in the, mort the mortuary, morticians, the funeral uh, aspects, the washers, cleaners. They're the ones who get, get it next. If they are unable to, if your city council is not able to give you uh, your supply, then the Muslim charities in this country are obligated to raise money to purchase these kits and to stack out the ghusl stations of the masajid with all of these kits. You need to make sure that they can wear them and they need to be trained on that. So the people who are in these masajid, they might be used to doing the normal ghusl in a normal circumstance with a non-infective body. But now it's different. They don't know what the PPE is. So PPE is. So it's got to be identified. Then number two, they don't know the correct way to put it on. And then the more importantly, the correct way to take it off in terms of the way that a person uh, uh, un uh, unravels and go goes off and takes this and that and then ensures that the glove comes off with the thing and you use the inside of the gown. You don't touch at any moment with your hands on the outside. And then the way that you take off your respirator and the one that you the way that you take off your gloves from the, your, your goggles from the back. And then you make sure then you wash your hands up to your elbows. This is a process that needs to be gone through a few times. I used to do quality control, you know, uh, in the clinical. My God, what a mission that was. And uh, that's the thing. When you've done it, you realize, you know, you know what? Yeah, I'm the number one. Yeah, and a cusser of doctors. Yeah, I think most of them are completely yeah, useless GPs. I'm attacking them all the time. But my goodness me, have they stood up yani, in this, in this uh, crisis. Subhanallah. I'm telling you, you know, a lot of people might think they're getting so much praise. They're getting so much favor. I swear by Allah. All right. There is no joke to go and do what they are doing. And by the way, I just want to say that, um, and this will, this will be a question that will come up later. Is it obligatory for them to go to this level of putting themselves at risk? To provide the service. I've been asked that a few times by some doctors, some leading ones, some other ones that are being uh, recalled and obligated to take come out of their speciality and enter into front line. And their answer is, Islamically, they are not obligated to go to this level, to put themselves at danger without the correct PPE, etc., etc. They are only obligated to follow their legal 
contract, the definition of the legal contract. If the law, if, the, if their work contract that they've signed obligates them to do it, then they're obligated. If it doesn't, then they don't. But which Muslim is going to turn around and look at the non-Muslims, the wider community, they've all stood up. Look about those who have come out of retirement, who are being retrained and going back into the front line. Most of them are elderly, by the way. You only leave medicine when, you're, when you retire. So they're at, at risk anyway. And so I'm just telling you that it's not even having the PPE available. When you put it on, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. I do Hajj every year, right? Okay. And, you know, you can see every single person wearing all of these, um, uh, you know, masks and so on and so forth. And I'm telling you now, even if there's a risk of infection, I can't wear a mask because I can't breathe in those masks. I can't. It takes me all of about two minutes and I'm dead. That's it. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a disaster. You, the, the ones that are full sealed, it's an absolute catastrophe. And then you're working in the most hot and difficult. By the way, we haven't even come to the emotional stress and the difficulty of what's going on. Just wearing it, moving, the gown is heavy. You've been seeing pictures of the marks that are being left on the face. It's so difficult. So they really are champions. I thought I'd never say the word because, you know, all the doctors that are my friends, they know, Yanni, how much fun I have at their expense. But they've stepped up. They smashed it. Uh, the nurses, the healthcare workers, this, this, the frontline system, the social workers, those that are involved in having to do services in the hospitals outside of COVID. Don't forget them as well. The, the, everything needs to go on. Basically, everyone other than the dentists are incredible. The hero... <laughs> They are genuine heroes, genuine heroes. I don't know if the day is ever going to come in my life where we say that, you know, a dentist was a genuine hero, a genuine loaded yani, uh, members of society, but genuine hero. I don't know if that moment will come. Anyway, that's the problem. I can't keep myself serious for anything. Right. So, um, so back to the uh, guidance. Person will take the, the Muslim funeral directors will take the body, take it to the ghusl station and they will wash it according to the sunnah. Everything. Why? Because they've got full PPE and they've got the time and ability to do so and the people have been trained and there's no excuse for them not to be trained. If they're elderly themselves, they should get younger people involved. We are now needing to ensure and you should go and contact your masjid, those that have whistle stations, men and especially women. And I'm holding you accountable here now. And you should call your, because the masjid you can't go to because it's closed. But you go and you call or email or message and contact the, the authorities, your trustees, your CEO, your imam, and say, I want to be trained or, or I want to volunteer and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And the reason I say this is because we are seeing from so far that a number of the uh, Muslim funeral directors so far are finding it very difficult to do it. And when you find it difficult to do from a physical point of view and putting the kit on and you're worried and you're scared and that scared is, 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 is placed, it's in its right place, they have the right to be scared, then uh, they um, are going to naturally, it's a nafs issue, and you want to protect yourself. You're going to gravitate towards a safer position. You're going to gravitate to, you know what, I'm not going to open the bag, and I'm going to do masah, which is what happened today. I'm going to do X, do Y. So, now today it was, it was valid. I just want to just remind you what happened today. Haji Tamur Khan, alayhi rahmatullah, passed away yesterday morning. He was released by MRI Hospital today, and the uh, Victoria Park Masjid, which was one of the 
COVID designated masajid. We had a meeting on Sunday where we gathered the masajid and we tried to work out who had the capacity to be able to deal with this, who would uh, who had the ability to upscale and do the training and so on. And so three masajid were chosen in the Manchester area. This is not North Manchester. This is not Bury. This is talking about Central Manchester and its surroundings. So it was uh, City Masjid, City Jamia Masjid, which is on Stockport Road, and um, uh, you've got. Uh, 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 Vicky Park, which is Manchester Central Mosque, and then you got Darul Ulum in Longside. So these are the three kind of main areas for Ghusl and and so on. And these are the ones who put their hands up. And these are the three that do not have the PPE equipment. This is the crazy thing. We're now on Wednesday, four days later, and they've had a week to prepare, and they can't get hold of it. And and others are saying that it's it's not right, and we don't know what to do with it, etc., etc. One way or the other, it's a classic chaos and. Uh, you know, I've been trying to uh, uh, tell, you know, different people to get equipment in and whatever. and But it's a mess. And this is actually what doctors are complaining about on the front line. So I completely understand what they're talking about. And what about the mess on this side? So this is a reality which is happening up and down in different places. Now, some local authorities and hospitals, and this shows the importance of developing relationships, are absolutely smashing it. I mean, North Manchester Hospital, they've got this down to a T. The Muslim chaplain in the, in the hospital, every hospital or most hospitals have a chaplain that, that represents the Muslims. He has stood up, taken responsibility, working in a hospital, got easy PPE training. He's a qualified imam, of course, like the chaplain should be. And he's the one who in the mortuary is doing the ghusl of the deceased. What an incredible job that he is doing, subhanAllah. Does the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the ghusl, does the shrouding, and then takes the, uh, then calls the Muslim funeral directors and says, right, I'm giving you a ready body that's had everything done, and now you can take it away and establish the burial and the janazah procedure. Now, we wish that that could happen up and down. The Muslim chaplains need to look at themselves and see if they can step up and do that, because genuinely, even though you might say, I'm not an expert either, and ghusl is not my thing, it's easier for you in a hospital setting to learn how to make ghusl and being au fait with the PPE, then those folks in the community, normally elder uncles and elder aunties, and you know those elder aunties can't come to the masjid, can't come to the hospital, they're in infection risk, or yani meaning that it's too risky to get them infected and then go back home with their kids and cause all that. So we already have a dire need for more women volunteers, but the uncles and the, the, the elders of our community that have been establishing these funeral services, they are terrified. Man, I've seen fear, wallahi, in the last few days, proper, proper fear. And... So in Manchester, they went to pick up the body. The body was given and they did not have the uh, right gear, did not have the right protection, did not have the right eyewear, did not have the right suits. And so what did they do? They took the body, they put the body in the coffin directly, in the body bag. The coffin had a the coffin in it, draped over the sides, and then the body was placed into the coffin and then they... Uh, uh, we're going to come to this, they did masah, which means with what hands, like you do masah over your socks, with what hands they wiped over the body bag, they put then the kafan over, folded it, they sealed the coffin, that coffin then was didn't go to the masjid, didn't go anywhere, it went straight to the uh, uh, southern cemetery graveyard where the janazah was performed. Um, so I want you to know that it was their lack of PPE and their, and the genuine fear and there were only two people. And believe me, when you are going through that process, you can't do it with two people. You need normally four people. Two people just needed to 
lift the body up from one side to the other side as you wash and you clean and so on and so forth. So they didn't even open the bag because they couldn't open the bag because they could not have the safe, uh, they did not have the safety material. And the other masajid didn't either, just before you think this is some, uh, you know, attack on Vicky Park. Actually, no, other masajid couldn't uh, deal with it. They don't have the PPE either. So I wanted to appreciate that this is a fluid situation in the very, very literal sense of the word. Um, so, again, priority is to take the body if you've got the PPE and do it. If that's not possible, then the Muslim chaplain should be asked to do the process with full PPE on in the mortuary in the hospital and then and then give the body to the Muslim funeral directors to take then to the uh, masjid and arrange for the burial in its right way. If there is not enough PPE or there is no, for the Muslim funeral directors or there is no Muslim chaplain available or, and this might happen, the health authority or the hospital authority, they refuse to allow you to open the body, for, uh, to open the bag for whatever reason. And that could happen. Maybe the evidence changes and it is now an effective risk. Maybe the situation changes where there's a huge overflow and we can't you know, deal with the number and they're wanting the bodies to get into the ground as soon as possible and not be spread around, whatever the reason is. Or from the Muslim side, an extreme situation would be that there's a backlog. There's 30 that have just come in a day and they can't now take it to the holding areas anymore and it needs to be taken directly and be buried. Then in this situation, we have a number of uh, um, uh, how can I say a flowchart or a list of priorities? In in our in our in our position, it is permissible if they won't allow us to take the body and we don't have the PPE for the hospital morticians to do the ghusl of the of the of the deceased. And when we're talking about the actual uh, ghusl, then meaning that even if they are non-Muslim as well. Now this is a scholarly difference. There are some scholars that said this is an act of worship and it must be a Muslim and it can't be the morticians. And there are other scholars that say that no, this is an act of cleansing. That's my personal opinion. And therefore, they can then do that as long as the body has been given a washing, then that's something acceptable. Of course, you would ask for, hopefully, the um, you would hopefully ask for uh, a Muslim, but if that's not possible, then fine. I also want to say, when it comes to washing, if they are... Uh, when it comes to, uh, uh, and I know again, I apologize for going back and forth, but if we, um, and if that is not uh, allowed and that's not possible, then we do tayammum on the body itself. Tayammum on the body means that you open the bag and now there's no infective risk because there's no water and there's no fluid and there's nothing. And then you will strike the floor or any surface, okay? Because natural dust is all you want. You don't need to go outside and find dirt or anything. You strike the floor, okay, and then you will wipe the hands and the, fa the face and the hands. So first the face, and this is of course wearing gloves. You will wipe the face of the deceased and then wipe the hands, both hands, and that's it. Bismillah, face, hands. And then you would seal the body and that's it. That is the act of tayammum. If they said that it's not allowed to open the bag, for all the reasons I mentioned before, then there is no tayammum, okay? I've seen videos where they're doing tayammum on the bag. What, 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 I don't know what that even is. What is that? And I've seen, uh, I've seen one video where they put dirt and rubbing dirt over the bag. I don't, know what, I don't even know what that is. That's not, at least tayammum is, from, is an act of worship. What, what is rubbing dirt? I don't know what that is. In this case, we, we use the uh, qiyas of wiping over a splint, wiping over a bandage. 
So with wet hands, you will make masah over the entire body bag. The body bag itself is like one big bandage, one big wounded area. And the fact that it is waterproof and water doesn't get in doesn't matter because also on a bandage water, the whole reason that you're wiping with it is so that water doesn't go to the wound and doesn't damage it, right? So you would wipe with wet hands over the uh, entire body bag. And if you didn't, it's not a major, to be honest, because once you've gone past the yamum, then really you've now entered into an area. And of course, I just want you to know that the primary thing is obligation, but it is allowed, as, as the usul as the says, when a situation becomes difficult, then the sharia becomes easy to deal with it. And so we keep moving to a, a more easier concession uh, position to allow you to be able to deal with the body. Now, I hope that that's clear in terms of the a priority order of what actions should be done. Now, for the ghusl itself, there's also a priority order. So first of all, it would be proper sunnah ghusl. As per the sunnah, warm water, number of times, using soap, then perfume. And this, of course, is if they give you the body, which they will, and they'll say to you it's safe, which it is, and then you've got the full PPE, which you must have. And you've got your volunteers and all your people, and that's fine. Now, as I said, for the foreseeable future, there's no reason why this shouldn't be done. It's a haq, and I don't want anybody to be negligent towards this. And you should hold your masajid accountable and ensure, as, as members of the public, that they're following these NCV guidelines, that they are getting the PPE, that they are trained on putting on, taking it off, and then being confident to be able to deal with the problem. Now, if they are worried and they don't want to get involved, that's acceptable. Okay, They don't want to because it is not obligatory it's a sunnah, that's why I call it sunnah ghusl, to do the full, uh, the full method. The obligation is actually achieved if you make the entire body wet. Even, subhanAllah, in a situation of a clothed, a clothed person, you can sometimes even put the water on the, on the clothes because it goes through. So in this scenario, very gently, with a hose, with the right temperature, with the right distance from afar, you would hose the body and ensure that it's all soaked in the best way possible without getting close. Again, full PPE. If that was not possible because the body was too cut up and it's too damaged and it's too whatever and there's a real a fear that aerosols will be produced and there would be any uh, contact with that, then you can sprinkle water on the... Um, you, can, you can sprinkle water on the body itself. Okay? Um, after that... Um, Uh, if there is, and and I've already said that if the, if you can't use any water at all, not even sprinkle water on it, then you can then just do the tiyamum as we mentioned before. And again, as we said before, if the bag cannot be opened, then we will then do masah over a closed bag. Uh, the kafan itself, okay, the shroud. Um, the shroud is there to cover the aura. A sunnah way is to use a number of sheets that protect the body in the best way possible. Um, but the body bag, if it comes in a body bag, is more than sufficient as a kafan. So you don't need to actually add another one. However, if you want to, and people you know, have donated a particular kafan or they want their mother or their father to be in a particular kafan and they want to protect the shape of the body which should be protected and the modesty should be respected, then a person then will, um, can, on top of the body bag, put the kafan on. It is, I'm going to say, from my point of view, not required at all because that's what the body bag is doing. But if a person wanted to do that, then that's something which is allowed. And the, um, uh, but as I'm saying to you, the body bag itself is, is, is not a requirement. We've been told again and again, and you'll see the public health uh, announcement 
tomorrow. All right. That states very clearly because I saw it last night. And that is that the body bag is not required, that the body can be handled, that the body is not infected. So there's no excuse to leave the body in the body bag. The body bag should be taken out. The person should be washed. Even if from afar, it should be washed, dried, and then put in the kafan, our kafan, not the, not the, because uh, the kafan is a matter of honor, subhanAllah. You know, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ used to save their kafans up in their lifetime. It was like a big thing. So um, they would put the kafan in and uh, put the, uh, shroud the body and then put it into the uh, uh, coffin for transportation. Now, uh, and we should also be checking with the funeral homes or the masajid, I should say, and make sure they got cloth. And if they haven't, then we make sure that we give them that. The next then stage is burial. Now, uh, the burial um, options in the UK are obviously very different to other places and I want to put some scenarios to you. The whole thing about cremation, which is probably going to uh, uh, the bill, which is a coronavirus bill, which is a massive bill that's allowing a legislation, primary legislation to be passed that will allow certain changes to the way we live, the banks work, the, the laws work, blah, 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 say, establishing states of emergency, what happens if this happens, what if that happens. And of course, there was a part there that was dealing with what happens if that the bodies become so much and it becomes complete chaos, then they put the option of cremation, which is a very attractive option for uh, any government because you don't use any space. It is comp no issue of infection whatsoever. You burn it to cinders, get rid of the ashes. No space taken, very cheap comparatively, blah, 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 blah. Space, yeah, not used. Everything is very good for them. But for the people of faith, of course, cremation is completely prohibited by absolute consensus of, uh, not just, I was about to say consensus of Ahl-Sunnah. There's not a single scholar that I know of in Islam that has ever said anything other than it is completely prohibited, let alone the Islam, it is completely prohibited in all of the divine religions. So in Christianity and in Judaism and in Islam as well. Now, so therefore it's not even a discussion. And people who want to make it a discussion and try to you know, put it on the table, they don't realize that when you do that, then you create a political problem. Because when scholars become irresponsible like that and start offering it as, oh, but if this happens and that happens, yeah, it's true. In an extreme scenario, we'll give the necessary fatwas to make sure that our our rights are achieved, yeah, and that the right of the deceased is achieved or protected. However, however, the um, uh, the idea that you start giving that as an option to people, right, uh, especially lawmakers and different kind of uh, uh, you know people who are advising the lawmakers, then you start to cause a problem, and that's why that's the reason why it is. People just need to be just be careful. So there is no basis in our in our deen, in our sharia for cremation as an option whatsoever. However, they put it on the table. Now, amendment, alhamdulillah, went in, which hasn't completely ruled out the possibility of cremation, but it's made it nigh impossible. Yeah, I know maybe that's too harsh. Maybe that's too uh, optimistic. Very, very unlikely. So many government ministers have gone on record saying it's not possible that that can happen. The, 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 the amendment itself makes it clear that the right of the person needs to be respected. And the key is this, that with the intervention by Boris Johnson uh, in the UK now, and obviously around the world as well, when you go aggressive, you will definitely bring the death rate down. And what really is happening with the death rate means that you're going to bring the capacity issue down, the overwhelming issue down. So, you know, the idea was is that according to the original plan, and, you know, in my opinion, Public Health England, I don't have a major problem with their approach to this at all. 
I don't think that the acceleration of measures is a change in policy. They already said that we're going to have moments where we're going to be going, then we're going to... But that's my opinion. I know that's controversial, but it doesn't matter. But their original plan to contain was based upon a model that was trying to keep it low to avoid a second infection that's going to come, a second wave later. They realized that numbers were too much uh, in the modeling that would be palatable in terms of deaths. And they also realized that under their original model, there would be a capacity uh, over capacity by nine times. And nine times over the capacity of our full respiratory system, uh, uh, respirators and frontline staff and so on. So they had to intervene. And once you go hardcore, you don't fix it, but you bring it down to three times, according to the latest models, meaning that you're overwhelmed three times over, which, by the way, is a lot better than what's happened in Italy, what happened in China at the beginning, and so on and so forth. So with that in mind, that now this quarantine everybody is in will definitely, inshallah, bring the numbers down. And instead of the silly 250,000, 300,000, we're hoping now for 20,000, 25,000. I know that sounds horrible to say, but that would be an incredible result if we can keep it into these numbers due to this intervention, which has a massive knock-on effect for the cremation bill, because that would mean that under current, my my estimate is that we're gonna we're gonna have Allahu alam a thousand Muslim casualties, a thousand Muslim casualties. Now that might be optimistic. Worst case scenario, five thousand. Again, this is entirely my own figures, my own calculations, my own modeling. I told you I don't trust anything else. Okay, I do my own stuff, and that is my estimate, and. Um, in discussions with the various burial grounds that, that exist in the UK, and that's Muslim only and then Muslim sections and non-Muslims, we have the ability to house 5,000 people tomorrow, but they'd have to be spread all over the, the country. So capacity won't be the problem. It will be meeting the, the needs of capacity. How will the funeral director homes be able to take bodies if on, if on one day, for example, in one hospital? Th- like today... Today is um, Wednesday the 25th of March. In London, there were 30 deaths for the Gardens of Peace team. Okay, 30 deaths. That was a mixture of COVID patients. I don't know whether that's 10 or 20, but a large number in the 30 and other normal deaths. Right now, for any team to have 30 deaths in one goal with 30 sets of families and 30 sets of individual procedures, that's an incredibly difficult thing to deal with. And that's now, let alone what happens. So that's what the problem is. And that's why the cremation thing was put on the the table. What we need to make clear is we're not going to accept that because we do have capacity and we also have a list, again, in order of options that we can choose to avoid having to get desperate for that we're not, we won't have a scenario where we don't have enough space to bury these people. And yes, if we need to hurry up on the procedure, so we are allowed, the body is not infective, we are allowed to go and wash the body, but the hospital is wanting us to take them straight to the graveyard, therefore that becomes a legal directive, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not hold anyone accountable, even if tayammum or masah on the closed bag is done for all of those people. That's another reason why that anything would become permissible and we've ruled on that accordingly. So, what would be the preferable order in terms of burial options? First is in a full Muslim graveyard, in a single grave. That is the first directive that we have um, uh, uh, requested. The second is a normal plot in the Muslim section of a non-Muslim graveyard, which is the majority of what the Muslims are buried in today. So today you'll find that you know every graveyard, the big ones like in Manchester today was Southern Cemetery. Southern Cemetery has a Muslim section, an old one and a new one. MashaAllah, 
it has huge capacity. There's enough space there, I think, for to cover Manchester, inshallah, for this particular fitna. I'm pretty confident of that. So that's the Muslim section of a non-Muslim graveyard. The next one, in terms of the preference list, this is what we would use in case there was capacity issues, is any place in a non-Muslim graveyard. So we're talking amongst the non-Muslims in any place. Um, so I hope that that makes sense. So this is not a Muslim section, but bang in the middle of the non-Muslim uh, graveyard, just like any other person. Um, and in principle, of course, this is not something good to be amongst the kuffar, which is as a place of adab, yani in their death. But it is something which becomes permissible to the need, because of the need. Now, there are some scholars that differ on order three and four. Should it be three, like I've said, and then number four, or should number four then come to three? Number four is mass graves. Now, the reason why there's a good argument to put number four into number three which is to put mass graves above being buried in a non-Muslim graveyard, is because the mass graves was something that was practiced by the Prophet ﷺ. And therefore, it is acceptable for someone to choose this option. The problem with mass graves, okay, and look at this here and what I do for you guys, okay? MashaAllah. Tell me what class does this kind of behavior. Tell me. The problem with the mass grave, folks, yeah, is that in terms of capacity, all right, when you look at... Um, the digging of a mass grave is very difficult. So if you only imagine that this is a normal grave, okay, and it's six... Oh, you can't even see that. Yeah, they can, yeah. Yeah, so it's six... The light is shining on it, isn't it? Okay. Maybe I do green. Oh, yeah, that's much better. Yeah. Honestly, what name pens? Right. Now, to, and then to put the body in, all right, is straightforward. However, to dig one which is like this, okay, is physically very difficult for the machine to do. 10 foot, 12 foot, and then, for example, to have body in like this. The sunnah, the sunnah, by the way, the sunnah of, of burial, is to have it like this, right? That's the sun. That's this is the ground, okay? This is the ground. The body goes in. It's put in here without a uh, without a, um, a coffin, and then the body is then pushed into, yeah, and it propped up like this, facing towards the qibla. Sorry, like that. I should make it. Put onto its shoulder and facing towards the qibla, right? This is then sealed up. And then all the miti, all the, uh, the, the, the mud is then put in there. That's a sunnah single grave. In this country, in the vast majority of places, we're not able to build this lahad, dig this lahad, this area here. Okay? This area here is not allowed. In most places. In most places. So what we do, and I, I'm not going to go into the fiqh of death now, but basically what we do is we create a pseudo lahad. We basically put a person in this area here. So if this is not possible... Then we'll make them go here, and then we'll, we'll prop them up with a, a wood or a bricks, and then we'll create an airtight chamber there, and then we we'll put all the mud up there. So he's kind of in a lahad there. That's what we do in this country, okay? And, and it's also okay to do that in the coffin as well, to prop up them in the coffin and then, then put the, the, the miti on top. So I want you to know that we don't have this in this country uh, uh, for a sunnah single grave. So we've only got this. Now, a sunnah for a mass grave, 
doesn't go like that at all. The Sunnah for Masquerave is like this. This is a Sunnah Masquerave. What is this rubbish pens? Yeah, Isa, yeah, Walid. Come on, give me some proper pens, man. That's me. So it's a, a huge wide grave, right? And this is Qibla. And what happens is that you put the first person in, then the second person in, then the third person in, like this. Okay? And you put them in like that. So this is still six foot in terms of depth. Now, I'm telling you now, the likelihood of you getting that planning permission in some of these, uh, in some of these uh, uh, graveyards, you've got next to no chance. You've got literally next to no chance. Oh my God, look at this. And custom like a bunch of tramps we've been dealing with all this time. Right. So, that, right, is how it would be. These are all people who are on their shoulders towards the Qibla. All right, they've all been propped up. And if you put some earth in between them, that's okay. And if you don't, then that's also okay as well. So this is unrealistic. More practical, or more realistic, what's going to happen in the case of mass graves, okay, in this country, according to our opinion and our consultation, is the normal grave, okay, you will then bury the person, and, and you have a couple of options. And this is what's being finalized tonight. Normally at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so this is the person who's buried, okay? And this is the earth, all right? And then if the capacity problem occurs, and this is our preferred opinion, then two things have, have either happened. This informant, the family of this person is informed that this is potential for a, a mass grave in case things again become out of control. We will then dig open this grave. We will repatriate this body. And then we will then go and dig deeper from there. We will dig deeper. We will then go and put the first person back in again. By the way, this has happened many times in the, the, the seerah. Uh, Aisha radiallahu anha had, had uh, done to her brother uh, Mu'awiyah radiallahu anha when the, when the floods came had the, the people moved this is something which is permissible if there's a need so the first person then would be put like that again then there would be a barrier okay uh, like the coffin for example and then on top of that coffin then the next person then would be put like that and then this would be then filled up with uh, whatever so this is so what happens here is that we do not create the, the situation in the first place. We hope that it doesn't go wrong, but if it doesn't, well, there's another approach to this, which is obviously I'm sure you can guess, which is common sense, which is from the beginning, you, you do the, the deeper one, the 10-foot one, and you put this person in, okay, and you seal it, and then you fill it up with, with mud, and then if there needs to be another person, then we dig all this out, and then we put basically that, that other person in afterwards. And you can go, now, as I said, the logistical problem with this is digging deep within a, within a finite space. So these are the limitations, okay? These are the limitations um, that, we, 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 that, that we have. And so, based upon that, I think that's clear, yeah? You think anything needs, anyone needs any more clarification on it? Anyone saying anything? Where's the, where's the lids for that? Like, I put, put these lids on. You would do that. So... Um, now, where am I?
So, if the wide grave is a sunnah, which is what we aim for, if that's not possible, then we will then put them one after the other uh, at the bottom, and ideally we'll create the grave uh, deeper so that the body is not disturbed. But if the body needs to be taken out, then that's something which is permissible due to the need. Why is all this being said, by the way? All because we will not allow them to say, there is no space, we need to cremate your bodies. You might be thinking, what is he doing? What's he talking about? What's this rubbish? You know, in America, they must be sitting there thinking, who is this idiot on, on, the, on the Facebook? Listen, we're at Tinku Little Island like this. All right, Tinku Little Island, right? And not flipping America, which has got billions of space for every single person. And he roads this big, stakes this big. Yeah, and he, you know, graveyards like this. You, you know, your own gardens. You can So, you know, understand that if you've got great space, then this, this discussion is irrelevant. If you don't, like most of the cities in this country, and we want to make sure that cremation is not even mentioned, then this is a sunnah. This happened at, the, at Uhud. The Prophet ﷺ had, by the way, the Prophet ﷺ had the time and had all the space in the world, and he did this. And now it's known as the Maqbarat of, of the Shuhada at Uhud, which we go to see. So I want you to know that's valid and something which is not something lesser. I, I'm going to say something... These are the guidance notes. The final sheet that the NBC will release yani for this process will be much more summarized. But I just want to add what can also be considered as two more steps before cremation can even be considered. The next step is what's called an eco-burial. So by the way, these mass burials would first of all then go back to ABC again. So they would go one, two, three again, meaning that you would do a mass burial in a Muslim grave, and if not, a Muslim graveyard, and if not, then a mass burial in a Muslim section of a non-Muslim graveyard, and if not, then a mass burial in the non-Muslim graveyard khalis. But like I said, the restrictions on depth and width are going to probably restrict that. The next then option is an eco-burial. There are things in this country called natural burial grounds. Now they're kind of like a bit of a hippie kind of joint thing, which is very cheap, and they use the kind of farmland. And they're amazing, actually, because uh, they, 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 their conditions are pure Sunnah. So, you know, it's not allowed to bury with a coffin. But yani, we have to do it here because most of the local authorities obligate it. Even though I'm not going to lie, uh, I always remove the coffin. And I get in so much trouble all the time. Uh, sorry, sorry. For legal reasons, I didn't say that. But um, the uh, um, uh, that's, I'm just speaking about some theory when I was dreaming. My legal advisor has just told me to make sure that I correct that statement. So I've just corrected that statement. So, but anyway, I want you to know it's not permissible in normal circumstances to bury in a coffin. Okay. Um, in an eco-burial ground, which is normally a field, you're not allowed to use a coffin. Look at that. So it's great. You are allowed to bury within shroud as per normal. And you're not allowed to put up a gravestone, which is, of course, they are not allowed as well or against the sunnah or should be minimized. That's my personal opinion. They allow you to put a plaque on, which is also my opinion, my opinion many of the scholars that identifies the grave. And they are, but they won't keep it as a graveyard like classic. So it will be denoted as a graveyard, but it will be an open space and so on. Um, they will grow trees there. There's a 100-year lease on the ground. There's about two, 300 of these sites up and down the country. The problem is that there's quite a few down south, not very much up north. And they're quite far away, quite difficult. There's lots of pros and cons. The pros are that all these Sunnah aspects. It's cheap. It's allowing you to not have to get involved in all these legal problems and Islamic problems. The con is that it's still a non-Muslim graveyard. There'll be more non-Muslims than Muslims. So what's the difference between that and a non-Muslim graveyard before? And the other con is that it's not respected like a graveyard. It doesn't, even though, that's why we put the non-Muslim graveyard, in our opinion, we as a panel, we discussed this, 
we put the non-Muslim graveyard as a better option because at least even the non-Muslims respect it. It has a sacredness. It has a choir. It has a solemn. It has a solemn feel, etc. Whereas these natural burial grounds are genuine, yani proper hippie grounds. They go, people go out there, they go for a walk. It will be allowed to be used, grow trees, etc. However, I'm not so much against it. I, I'm, I'm a promoter of the idea, and I'm hoping that the Muslims will. And I just want to uh, everyone who's seen this video. I want to say something to all of the people who have any kind of influence in their city councils or with their MPs, please put pressure on your local authorities and city councils right now to offer you land because they'll give it cheap and they will relax all planning permissions right now because they are terrified as much as we are. And they know that we have a capacity issue and we are a large percentage in all of the countries. doesn't matter where you are watching this. Now is the moment to lobby. This is that opportunity. You know just how we're hitting the markets, right? Yani, you know, this is something which I do. I do a lot of trading. Markets fell. Those people who are on long terms, 30% down. But in every loss of 30% on all of your pensions and stocks, or halal, of course, is you, if you have cash, to go in and buy as well. And the amount of money that you've been making is incredible. Absolutely crazy after you lose everything. So in every calamity, from a financial point of view, there's always an opportunity. So in this moment right now, we've always been, already been delaying. Like Manchester, for example, doesn't have its own uh, Islam Muslim uh, graveyard. Uh, how is that possible? Blackburn, for crying out loud. Yeah, any I don't know, I can't cuss Blackburn. Blackburn. Bradford. Bradistan, I can't cuss, cuss Bradford. So many places have their own full, massive, amazing facilities. How can Manchester, Manchester, not have its own Muslim graveyard? So Manchester, other cities around the country, even if there are one there, then just go to the council. They've got lots of land, lots of fields. Grab one, doesn't matter where it is, doesn't matter if it's outside, as long as it's not too far, and then ask them to remove the planning permission issue so that you can ap appropriate it to become a graveyard and we're in. This is what all Muslims should do. Please take my advice and put pressure upon whoever needs to be taken uh, pressure. Get me a, a charger thing for this, yeah, a uh, power bank and uh, whatever. Um, the uh, next, uh, uh, and then this last one's going to sound crazy to you, but it's not crazy at all. Um, it is not illegal for you to, to bury in your garden. Now, that sounds crazy, but we will take that not 1,000, not 10,000, 1,000 million times before we allow the body to be cremated. Because cremation is completely prohibited. There is no infective risk for the cremation to occur. And if it's a capacity one, then we'll take it. And those people who have gardens, then you'll put it in your garden. And that's something which is legally allowed, by the way. And I'm, I'm just putting it out there to show you how many options can be exhausted before people start to say, no, we should accept cremation or there's a need and all this kind of stuff. There isn't. Not at all. Not at all. So I hope that that makes uh, sense. Now, just on the mention of genders, okay, um, the gender situation is uh, that uh, everything should occur as per normal. Females should do the females. Men should do the men. And if... Uh, the uh, and when it comes to the burial then I think that there is some laxity in that because it's very difficult now to get the females to be able to do that or enough females and that's no that's my practical experience and so in the body in the in, in the if, because the, the coffin has arrived already we're not going to open a coffin anyway then the brothers can then lower the body but at the ghusl part and the tayammum part and the masah part then the women should be doing that if there is, for whatever reason, no women available, then I believe it's okay for masah to be lightly done so that the body is not touched on the actual uh, uh, bag itself. And even if it's not done, 
because of fear of disrespecting the body and touching it from a male. And I think that's something which is permissible and has precedent for that in the Sunnah as well. Again, I told you we don't have so much time to go into the evidences and so on. The final thing is the Janazah prayer. The Janazah prayer is an obligation that must be occur, that must uh, occur, in my opinion. Uh, uh, and again, I'm not going into fiqh differences. I don't care about madhabs. We're just focusing on class positions now. Logical progression. If the normal class was, we'd be going into details. But obviously, we're in a Facebook thing and we've got a wider audience. So I just want you to know that uh, the summary is this: that the janaza must be prayed, and even one person praying it is enough. And even though there's quarantine at the moment and two people can't get together, funerals are an exemption. And they have not in the UK. They've not specified a maximum number. Okay, but 15 is a number that we're looking at. 20, 10, yani minimizing the number and then maintaining social distancing, keeping yani people two meters away at all times as much as possible, unless it's the actual going and moving the, the coffin. Uh, a lot of folks, I, I posted a picture up of today and they said, you know, what you're doing with, you know, no PPE. That's because I told you there is no infection risk of the body. The body is in a sealed bag. The body has, bag has been wiped down with bleach, whatever. By the way, uh, in our full directive, we've got all of the disinfectant uh, procedures that uh, are required. So we do need a quarter percent bleach. We do need other high strong uh, 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 grade uh, sanitizers to wipe the, the coffin as well, to wipe the, 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 the vehicle before the coffin's put in. So that coffin itself is clean. Now, if I was going to touch the coffin though, the current guidance is to use a bag, but I did not touch the coffin, okay? Which is why I, had, I was using my hands and I was involved in getting rid of the other wood, and the robes and the things that I have nothing to do. That's the reason why I didn't want to watch uh, wear PPE. And I have to tell you that I'm not a big fan of uh, um, encouraging this kind of you know irrational fear, irrational fear. I'm all about rational evidence-based fear. And I'm sorry, I'm not just going to put on gloves because you know people want me to put on gloves. There was no, I'm not touching anything. I'm not involved. I know what the, the, the this is. This is my area. This is my science. So I'm comfortable with that. So. The body is placed into the grave, as I've mentioned, the janazah prayer, in my opinion, with the mosques closed and with the airspace, we shouldn't be entertaining any option except at the graveyard. So we want it to be done at the cemetery. Now we have two options. There are the Muslim cemeteries that have dedicated areas and we can do it like that. And if not, then we do it at the gravesite and that's something permissible. The Prophet of course did that for Imrat al-Sawda, the lady who used to clean the masjid. When, they, when the companions, they, they prayed over her and he, he was upset that they didn't tell him because he missed her after a little while, couldn't find her. And then they said, no, she passed away, we prayed Janazah. So then he went and he prayed over her. Now that's, again, at the grave. That in indicates permissibility of praying, praying by yourself, praying in the Janazah, praying that even though someone's already prayed, there's a number of rulings that we can take over it. Now then, it, this area is full of ikhtilaf. There are two clear scholarly opinions. The Malikis are the strictest and Abu Hanifa and his madhab are close to them and that they do not allow uh, uh, the Muslims the, 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 the act of, in principle, the, the, the repetition of the janazah prayer or what's known as the prayer in absentia, Salat al-Ghaib. Um, and that's because they considered this either to be something specific to the honor of the Prophet that was unique to him or that's something specific to Najashi, which who he prayed for. Uh, the original time when the Prophet ﷺ told the companions, Jibril just come to me and told me this, your brother, a righteous man, has passed. And so that was, of course, when he was in Ethiopia, uh, the land of non-Muslims, and the Prophet ﷺ prayed Janazah with the companions. But that's because he was literally ghaib. He was out of sight, lost, gone, 
not يعني المسلم الآن no one's prayed for him and so he prayed for him. Um, the Shafi'is are the most relaxed on this. They allow no restrictions. You can anyone can pray as many times as they want, again and again, where they are, whoever they are, if they're in front of you, if they're gone, and so on. And I have to say that I follow the position of Ibn Taymiyyah. I have some caveats. In my opinion, there should not be a repetition prayer in principle uh, for a ghaib, for someone who um, has had their janazah prayed, that there should not be us praying. So this idea, but at the moment, you know that there are people who are saying, you know what, can we pray salat al-ghaib for the deceased? No, uh, I don't think we can until we know that they have definitely not had the janazah prayed for them. Then it's okay for us to pray. But if we know that they've had it prayed there, then why are we praying again? So that's my position. However, for the family or someone who has a connection to that person to go and pray over that person, in my opinion, I do not consider this to be a, a type of Salatul Ghaib. I consider this to be a repetition of the janazah. And I think that these are two separate categories and I know that there's a big discussion but I don't want to get involved in that. This is the class position. And that is that if a family, just like the Prophet وسلم, said for this, did, for this, did for this lady, the companions prayed the janazah and then they went obviously afterwards and um, the Prophet وسلم, then prayed again. So the family now, if they want to, when they come out of isolation um, and then want to go to the graveyard to pray, I think that's fine. Now, but I do believe that we should establish the janazah before we put the prayer down, before we put the, the body in the ground. And that's what we did today. I led that prayer today. And just to give you an idea of what would happen, we prayed it right next to the grave. We prayed in the direction of the qibla. I kept the empty grave in front of me and the body was in front of me. I stood by myself. The lines were built up behind me. We kept the people separate, which is something which is permissible when the situation is like that. So we kept two meters apart and we increased the rows. It's sooner to increase the rows anyway. So we had an odd number of a large number of rows and we had the people back and it worked fine. We prayed the Salatul Janazah, as you know, that's not for this lesson. Everything is normal in that. And then we then buried uh, our brother, alayhi rahmatullah wa ghafarallah. So that's, I think, the... Um, that's pretty much it. I just want to say also, if there's a claim that the masajid are too overrun and they can't store the bodies that are coming like a factory from the hospital, so many, so many, and therefore we have to go to cremation, that's also incorrect. You are able to hire very easily mobile refrigeration units that are used for mass events, shows, and also to store dead bodies as well. And you plug them in, single-phase electricity, in the masjid, and it allows for the body to be placed in there Whilst, and you know what it is? I just want to just say to you, got myself on camera, to go and buy one of these units, if there's a risk of cremation, is absolutely obligatory, or to hire one, and you can be hire them. And for a body to be in that refrigeration unit for 1,000 years is better than for it to be cremated. Because this is a permissible act, and this is an impermissible act that has no basis, that has no reason, no justification. So I think you should get by now how I feel about the concept of... Um, cremation even been discussed. So that, folks, is the entirety of the guidance that will be pre presented by the National Borough Council and we are requesting the... I know it's all over the place, but this is obviously my own notes that I presented and then we've made it into a nice flowchart or nice, whatever, one-page summary. But um, it is what it is. My legs are completely dead. Now, I think what we do is that we answer the questions. No? Or what? So questions on... Uh, and let's take it all the way back and um, let's uh, let's start in uh, LP and then we'll go to thing and then once the once once these questions are done once these questions are done then we'll go on to uh, 
let, let, let's just take questions on the thingy now, okay? On the uh, um, burial and everything like that. So keep going. Um, okay, you know what? You need to go and do a, a, an assessment on this, okay? You need to make a document or you need to, 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 to do your thing because I can't wait for you to do all of that. Um, and... Yeah, so our team here is going to, which is door number team, as you know, but they're going to now prepare the questions that are relevant. Whilst that's being done, I'm just going to quickly go through some of the the, the thingy. I'm going to go through the um, other questions that are being asked very quickly, and then I'm going to come back and discuss all of this. So the other questions I want to deal with is the business loans that has been offered. Most businesses come under £51,000 rates on the, on, the, on the high street or whatever. They've been given the offer of £25,000 uh, loans that was extended from six months to 12 months. You're able to pay that back without interest. Is it permissible for you to apply for that and to use that money in a way uh, that will give you, uh, that will give you uh, cover? Or cover this period, if you like. The answer to that is... Um, if there is a, uh, a real need, if there is a genuine need for that, you're not just doing it so you can play the market, so you just take the money in and you know, invest it and play around with it. No, there is a genuine need for you to protect Yanni, your, your, actual, um, your actual estate, then I think that's something which is permissible on two conditions. One, the need, and number two, that you must 100% commit to making sure that you pay that back before 12 months, before it, before the interest starts. Now, I want you to know that in principle, I do not allow this type of loan. In principle, I do not allow this type of loan. And that's because this is the same argument for the credit cards. There are two positions on this. There are a minority position that allow credit cards and therefore they allow all of these interest-free kind of options that allow you to take money for an interest-free period. But then once you get to the end of that period, then you have to pay interest on the, the remaining balance. And the vast majority of scholars do not allow this. The Majmu'at Fiqh al-Islami does not allow it. And, and I am very, you know, I, I, sp I speak about this a lot, of course, in uh, Lessons and Pure Fesa. But uh, for now, all you need to know is that um, the only reason that we're allowing it is because of a darura, because of the need, because there's no uh, income or the income's not enough, etc., etc. So I hope that that makes sense. The short-term business loan that was offered by Rishi uh, Sunak, I think, is permissible. And anything which is equivalent in other countries, I believe, is permissible as well. Next question is... Um, with respect to hand sanitizer, and like I said, I will, I will go back to all of the cremation when we get all of the questions, uh, uh, when we get all the questions um, organized. Um, hand sanitizer. Now that's out of stock, all right? A lot of places finding it difficult. And you know what? It is much cheaper, much more effective to make your own. And you need neat alcohol, okay, and just get the job done. Piece of cake. Question is, is it allowed to buy alcohol, proper ethanol alcohol? The answer is yes, it is allowed to do that. Not only is it allowed to buy that, others are asking, is it allowed to use on your skin? Yes, it is. Alcohol is impermissible to drink. It's not impermissible to use. Alcohol, in my opinion, in the opinion of a number of the Hanafi scholars, a number of them, uh, and more than the Hanafi scholars, they believe it's a pure substance, and I believe that as well. It's not najis and uh, rids, yani, which is al-khamar, um, is not referring to its impurity in terms of a physical nature, okay? Um, it's pure on the skin. If it was on your skin, you could pray, for example. It doesn't, it doesn't break, invalidate wudu, invalidate prayer, or anything like that. 
it's the drinking of it, even a tiny amount, which is completely impermissible. So you can buy alcohol in large amounts and you just type in YouTube, you'll find the one that's got the most hits and make your own flipping sanitizer. Man, like paying five quid a flipping bottle, you're having a laugh, aren't you? So um, that's something which is permissible. Ha, huh. this is an important one. The permissible, impermissible aspects of, you know, so of volunteering. So you all know that there's a massive drive on at the moment, right? Uh, you know about my neighbor, Jean, and about how we need to look after Miskina, uh, Jean. Yana Bajari, she is obviously in a difficult position. And then the NHS has obviously uh, teamed up with the Good Samaritans. And that app is amazing. The system is amazing because it allows people to basically come together and um, uh, under a unified system. And then they give you a call and then you go and then you help bring medicines for people, take people to the hospital, back to the hospital or whatever. So they restricted this at the moment. But the one thing that they've added is the going and purchasing of food for them. Now, the obvious question then is that if you're, Yana, you know, Mrs. Jones or Yana, Rupert, Rupert Blackwell or whoever Yana, your guy is next door, he likes a little little tipple, little yeah, you know, little whiskey in the in the evening, or he likes the old bacon butty, yeah. So, what's the ruling on that? Is it permissible for you to buy things which are impermissible? I want to say to you that um, there are two categories of impermissible things. There are those which are impermissible very strongly, very clearly, and I'm summarizing this. I, I completely, you know, people who are big fans of the normal LP depth and fiqh, yeah, I, I, just behave yourselves, okay? We're, we're going through a lot of questions, just giving the answers. Um, it's not possible to compare beef, even haram beef, not, not slaughtered properly, zabiha, okay, or dhabah, with pork. That's not possible. And it's not possible to compare, yeah, and it's not possible to compare beef with alcohol. So it is impermissible if, yeah, and Mary Poppins next door, she basically says that, hey, I want you to go back and get a bottle of whiskey, bottle of this, kind of beer. And I want some bacon, I want some strips, I want some ham. This is impermissible. It's impermissible and you have to say, you know, I'm really, really sorry. And you know, they'll understand. Just come straight out and say, listen, I ethically am completely opposed to the concept of porcine, pork, blah, 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 blah. And that's it. Just going to man up and say it. As for, and so if the NHS system is yeah, and putting you in a forced position, which I doubt it because they're hopefully going to be in contact with your, your person you're helping or with your neighbours, obviously you'll know them, then um, then this is obviously something which you're going to have to speak to them about. What about the issue of beef and lamb and other animal parts? I want you to know that um, personally, I'm not comfortable with that, but some scholars, many scholars will allow it, and they'll allow it from two reasons, from two angles, beg your pardon. The first angle they'll say, which is an argument which I, I've debunked many times before and I don't like, that all the meat in this country is the meat of Ahlul Kitab, because the, the, Christian, the country is a Christian country, and somehow that makes all the meat producers Christian, which is the biggest lot of nonsense ever, and therefore the meat is okay. But if it was a Christian country, and it was like in America or Texas, for example, I'm just, you know, everybody knows who I am, yeah, what my, my characteristics are. I'm telling you now, if I am in Texas, right, I'm eating all the Christian, all the meat, yeah, and in all of their, their places I can find, every steak I could find I'd eat, because those people are mental Christians. Right, that is a proper Christian area. They do all that behavior, believe in it, proper hardcore. That's the difference. Now we are not. We're the most godless country on this planet. Okay, don't go that you know Queen is the head of Church of England. That's nonsense. So I don't buy that argument. But what I do buy is that there is ishtihad there, and I do buy that there is a difference of opinion there, and I also buy that there is, yani uh, that second angle is that there is no doubt that there's not an emphasis upon meat like there's an emphasis on. Uh, um, pork and uh, the rest 
So I don't think it's a major issue if they insist that you get some meat. But I think you should man up and take the opportunity. You know me, I'm not going to someone who's going to shy away from this situation. I'm going to turn it into an opportunity. And so, you know, when Gina asked me for her meat, you know what I said? I said, our meat is sick, mate. We're going to bring you some of that real halal behavior. Now, that's going to cause ripples in the hearts and minds of the, of the uninitiated. But this is where your da'wah starts. There's no reason for you when they want some meat for you to go to. But by the way, I'm going to be reporting on my boycott of the meat industry. I think that we're having results, by the way. Give me one, more, one two more days. You're going to see some incredible results. Already, I've heard Diani, that Diani people have... Because I'm not saying I've led the movement, but a lot of people have, have you know, got angry. And they heard that people are boycotting and they started it and the prices started coming down. Now you're going to see some real karma being out to right now. Anyway, so... I believe that you should you know, get halal meat and that's the best way to stay out of the khilaf, okay? Avoid the meat. Um, the other question was, um, so the issue, so listen, the issues around trying to mentize, look, the whole lesson is ridiculous. It's gone over one hour 35. People are going to see this have a heart attack. We really do have to stop. So I, I'm going to have to just be very quick on this. Mending ties, protect this house genuinely, okay? You've got so much you know, content out there, but if there's something that is absolutely worth getting as a permanent class, then you go and, and go to Al Maghrib website or go to Al Maghrib Facebook page and get the Protect This House class. All right, it absolutely smashes this whole subject in huge detail. All the caveats: what happens when there's a problem? What happens if they're not listening to me? How far do I have to go? What is the level of sacrifice I need to make? And I'm saying I can say to you in general right now that you've got to go all the way. That this is an act of worship that Allah tests you by really making it painful, really making it hard, and that's why it's obligatory. That's why it proves a person or what they're made of. You've got to do everything it takes, everything, and you've got to sacrifice everything that you possibly can. And regardless of the amount of abuse or whatever, because ultimately only you are the one who can tell me or you or anybody else how much you can handle, how much you are willing to take. So it's a personal decision on that. But like I said, there's so much more details on that. Very quickly, um, zakah, Ramadan and Taraweeh. Zakah, people are saying that uh, um, uh, zakah, can I delay it? So I've got zakah, I've got £5,000, which is above the nisab, okay, and the amount of the threshold. And so therefore I need to pay zakah 2.5% on that. Which is 125 pounds? No, 100 and what's 2.5 percent on thingy? Uh, 25, uh, 25, so 50, 60, 2.5? 62 pounds, 50, that doesn't make sense, 5,000 pounds. So 2.5, 25 on 1,000, 25, 125 pounds, isn't it? 125, yeah, <laughs> I must have went up and down. So on 5,000 pounds, you need to pay £125. Now what if someone says that I've got this money, I've got 10,000, I've got 20,000, but I know that I'm out of work, right? So my zakat is due now and the country's shop, I've got a shop and or I've got a business or whatever, uh, I'm a lawyer, whatever, and I won't have any clients, so I will have no income for the next three, four months. And this £20,000 is what it will cost me to run my whole house and life and everything. So what do I do with that? So the answer to that is that um, it is not permissible for you to delay your zakat. In my opinion, I do not know of any evidence that allows that. Uh, in actual fact, I think you should take it as an opportunity. Um, you don't know what's going to happen. You could, you know, like everyone was absolutely you know, beside themselves. And then suddenly, good old Rishi came out and said, yep, 80% of everybody's uh, uh, salary yani, guaranteed. Now, two weeks ago, people were thinking, that's it, we're dead, we're finished. What the hell are we going to do? Now, that's, I know it's not a lot, but it just came from nowhere, right? Now, the self-employed people are crying their eyes out. 
please tell me that once I've been on air and they're helping the self-employed people out now as well. Custom, we need some money, man. I'm telling you. So that could happen as well. So my point is, is that things can change. But also, this is an act of ibadah. This is zakah. Yani, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Allah makes sadaqah grow, right? Which makes your mal grow. And wealth was never diminished yani, for giving sadaqah. And, you know, like I told uh, my little group, you know, I told you that this project that we have, that everybody should have in their local areas, where you get some people to, who have got stable jobs and income coming in, donate some money, even though they've all taken a financial hit. Donate some money so we can make some money. So we've now got this big fund, mashallah, which is like 10,000 plus, yani, and we've been spending it on people and buying things, etc., etc. And I'm telling you now, I, as a miskin who's also been hit financially, have invested in that fund to make money back. I am absolutely positive that giving that money is going to bring back money from somewhere. From an area where I didn't even think of. So I want you to know that you should confidently give your, your zakat right now and put your, your faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you've got the money, then you need to pay zakat upon it. There's no way that you know what's going to happen afterwards. That is savings. That's what it is right now. I don't believe it's acceptable to you not do it. Finally, taraweeh. Taraweeh is clearly not going to happen this year. There's no doubt about that. I'm almost positive. I would find it incredibly impossible for them, us to regather in the masjid so quick. So, uh, you know, and I'll be releasing, re-releasing a video which a lot of people uh, have seen, a lot of people don't like, but it is what it is. I do not believe that it is sunnah per se to pray the qiyam the, of Ramadan in the masjid that people know as taraweeh. I believe it's permissible, but I don't believe it's sunnah. I believe that the sunnah is actually to pray at home. So for me, it's no change. I haven't prayed, you know, full disclosure. I haven't prayed taraweeh. We haven't done it for how long? Nine years? Maybe nine years or, we haven't, or ten years or eight years. We haven't prayed. Uh, now, obviously, in our home, it's different because we have any uh, students of the Quran and so on. And so we pray ourselves. But that's the sunnah. That's what you're meant to do. And if you don't, you can get someone to lead. So taraweeh is not going to be happening, but you need to replace that. And there's no exemption for that. The final thing is Ramadan. And what about conditions and health and so on? Um, Ramadan would not be cancelled for because of the virus. There's no basis for that. This idea that I've got to keep on drinking is not that at all. You would drink more. You'd hydrate yourself more. You'd make sure that in your suhoor time and iftar time, you eat healthily and not eat the normal rubbish that you eat. And all the pakwari, samosa, rubbish, chicken, blah, blah, blah. And then having full handi and full parate in the, in the seri time. And yani being completely dying of thirst. So, you know, if you listen to all those hippies out there that tell you to eat chia seeds. Is it chia? Yeah, yeah, that you eat. Chaya. Chia. Chia seeds and uh, oats. and What do you do? Porridge. And all this kind of healthy stuff, whatever, whatnot. So, you know, you might need to do that, some of that stuff. And be very hydrated. And it's allowed to gargle. It's allowed to rinse your mouth. It's allowed to do all that. But it's, it needs to be fast, uh, fasted. Now, if a person is in an extreme situation, uh, then there can be an exception for that person. Because already we know that the people who are very sick or very ill, then there can be an exception on an individual basis. If they are uh, feel they're, they're suffering exhaustion and so on, then they're allowed an exemption. But in principle, they would have to fast up until that moment. And then if that moment was to come, then they could then break their fast and then they'd make it up later on. And that is my position. And there will become more rulings on fasting later. Now, folks, we're going to focus on the... Uh, focus on the where's it right here we go we're now going to focus on the uh, questions to do with um, grave and uh, uh, the whole embassy gu guidelines and then if we've got time which I don't think we will to be honest then we'll go to um, then I don't know just, uh, one hour 40 right I work as doctor in NHS and I'm about to go to the front 
the PPE required yani, a thingy, a mask which requires you to be clean shaven or to wear a special hood to tie your beard under to form a safe seal. That hood is in short supply and handed out one at a time from a faraway area making it impractical to get to. In this scenario, can I shave my beard off until the situation has resolved? So this is a common question at the moment. My answer is, is that you should try to get the full head yani gear which completely encloses your head and in the absence of getting that and there is impossible for you to operate without yani, the, the, this, uh, uh, these masks and you don't have the ability to get anything else. What, what happened there? The, uh, um, uh, and it's impossible to, let me show you the picture, what's happened to the picture? Yeah. So the, um, uh, uh, then it is permissible for you to shave as much as is required for the, for this, for the, for the uh, um, uh, mask to get a seal. And if that means all of it, then so, then so be it. Let me just make it clear that to shave is completely impermissible. I, you, you know, this idea that the Shafi position is makru, yani there can be some arguments put against it, but frankly, it is going against the clearest of evidences and the vast majority of scholars, and you should only be understanding it as impermissible. No man should be going around yani, looking like a woman. And, but in this particular case, this is a medical necessity. And so therefore, it is permissible for a man to shave his beard to put uh, on the mask as a, as a, fr a, 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 a frontline uh, situation. Uh, okay, next one. What's your thoughts on frontline NHS uh, who do not have adequate PPE deciding not to see COVID patients as a fear? I think that's permissible. I think the fear is real. I think the decision is acceptable. I do not believe that treatment is obligatory. I believe that the one who does that is a hero. Simple as that. In the light of this uh, massive Islamic rule writing, blah, 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 I hope to, if I get time, honestly, I'm not even joking, you know, I'm on pure adrenaline. The reason that I'm speaking this fast is because it's pure adrenaline. I have slept three hours in the last three days. What is happening there, Lala? Three hours and three days. How is that even possible? I don't know how it's possible. Adrenaline. And, and, Diet Coke, slice of lemon of ice. Coffee. No, not coffee. I don't need coffee. Just my Diet Coke and my, my ice thingy. But that is a miracle. Now, I know everyone's going to say, ah, you're not allowed to have ice. Mufti Meng said you got to you know, drink hot tea and gargle with it. Listen, Mufti Meng sahab, you drink your hot tea and you do your ginger tea and your hot tea and don't drink water unless it's hot water. Lala's yani been too much Chinese influence there. You know what it is? Just leave us with our eyes. Let us enjoy this hawan halal thing. You made everything else haram on us. Yani let us at least, uh, uh, Lala? All right. Uh, what, what could happen theoretically if the government issued a law that all COVID bodies must be cremated? What is Islamic ruling? If there was no legal alternative and we were forced to in this country, then obviously we'd have to uh, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Just tell me the, the, the reason for your existence in this entire life. Just tell me that. Yeah? Just give me just some kind of idea what, what actually is the point of your existence if you can't even operate one light. Yeah, ye. Right. Folks, I'll be honest with you, this yani, uh, subject is so macabre and so depressing that I cannot do it anymore. Three After three days, I've cracked now. That's it. All I don't want to do is just laugh and joke. But I can't, man. Anyway, until one receives full PPE for the, for the, for the ghusl al-mayyit, or ghusl, it should be a ghusl al-mayyit, yeah, to wash the, the deceased, do we delay the ghusl until, until we can obtain them? No. That's a very good question. I believe that it's permissible for you then to do tiyammum uh, on the body. And you shouldn't do mas'ah on the bag because the body is not infected and you do not need the full... Uh, sorry, beg your pardon, beg your pardon. You have not got full PPE. If you do not have full PPE, then you shouldn't open the bag. You shouldn't touch the body. And you can then... Um, you can wipe the bag. Mas'ah. Because you don't need full PPE for that. Um, 
Are we in Manchester training people how to wear and de-robe? I don't know. And we need volunteers to step up and speak to our services and go to the masjids. Yeah, and someone's saying, don't forget about the pharmacists. I don't know about that, man. But no, no, they're all right. They're doing all right. Can a tayammum be done by a person whilst wearing gloves? Yes, that's permissible because of the need. I heard a person, you know what, just leave it off. If you're not going to be able to deal with it, just leave it off. Okay. I heard a person that passes away. This is what happens when you're doing from quarantine from home. Right? Just give us some, a bit of laxity here, folks. A bit, a bit of flexibility. I heard a person that passes away due to COVID. His class is a shaheed. And for a shaheed, you don't perform ghusl as that is an honor. Or is that just in times of war? No, this is a very important mistake that people are making. Right? There's a consensus on this point, by the way. This is the crazy part. I don't know where it comes from. Only the, the shaheed on the battleground. Just leave it off. Turn it off. Only the shaheed on the battleground is someone who uh, does not get a ghusl, okay? Let me just see. There we go. Lala. Only the shaheed on the battleground is someone who doesn't get a um, who doesn't get a ghusl. Every other person, if they can be found, are given a ghusl. If someone's drowned and he can't recover the body, or someone gets lost, or whatever, or someone get you know they they're crushed, as the hadith says and the body can't be recovered and whatever, you can't find it, then those people are prayed over in absentia. But the pregnant lady, the one yani, in labor who passes away, the one who passes away by crush, then you do recover the body, the one who dies of plague, the one who dies of pleurisy or pneumonia, these are people who are given the honorable status of shaheed because of the difficulty they go through, the pain that they experience. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen those people. They are honored with the status of shaheed. They are, have to, though, be uh, washed, shrouded, buried, proper, everything, and so on. These guidelines will be uh, shared in local, uh, will be uh, uh, shared online and on the National Council burial website. That will happen. Uh, yeah, the, in terms of mass graves, why can't they be the same depth, but uh, uh, but broader? Uh, land restrictions, that's right, because you're making the rest of the graves unstable and all these kind of things. With mass graves, what happens with Barzakh and Adab al-Qabr? This is from the, this is from the, the, the ghayb, we don't know. Uh, we absolutely have no idea what would happen. What are your thoughts about a doctor deciding to see a possible COVID patient without proper PPE protection? From an Islamic position, is this class as reckless or something commanded? Well, like, this is a very good question. I don't think that it's a straightforward answer. I do not think with this condition, it is absolutely obligatory to take the level of precautions that we are. I don't. Okay. But that person is therefore then obligated to not then take the risk of passing it on. So on an individual basis, if a person did that knowing it's not infectious or he's confident nothing's going to happen to him, I think that there's some space for that. I don't think it should be done though because practically this person is needed to help other people. And because of the asymptomatic nature of the carrier and the way that people are being infected and it can't be controlled, it's too risky. And other people are going to suffer. And so we need to have some kind of system to be able to control it. How do you do masah on the bag? Is it literally just a wipe? Yeah, you would... Uh, a wet one hand or both hands is flexible because frankly we're not even doing something proper here I don't know if, I have, if that makes sense but it's unprecedented that's what I'm trying to say so basically with wet hands you would basically try to wipe the entirety of the bag um, the average common person how would we advise them if you don't have any coming or going with the masjid or whatever how can this be proposed I think they should be contacted I think that the hospitals should be, the bereavement centers should be contacted to make sure that they're given a choice that you become active. If someone that you know or your own relative gets passed and you know that there's a certain mosque that you want doing it and not another mosque because the other mosque are becoming too comfortable. And that is something out there as well. 
you know, some of these mosques are going to be charging some of the people the full amounts for the, for the burials, which can be a good few thousand pounds. And yet, they're not, they're just at, in the mortuary, just wiping it and going and saying, you know, oh, we can't, even though they've got the ability to buy the, the uh, uh, PPE. Now, I do want to say that there are a number of scholars, and some of my own teachers in, included, who do believe that, you know, this is a difficulty that is not, yani, that is too much, that one shouldn't, yani, you know, one shouldn't uh, take upon uh, oneself. Well, I want to say that um, if there's genuine absolute terror and there's no other people available, then then I think there's, it's okay for them to not open the bag and to just make mas'ah over it. But really, the PPE, we should put pressure upon our masajid and supply them and fund them and train them so that they've got no excuse. And volunteer. They do need a lot of people. And that, I think, drive is going to start becoming more public in the next few days. Uh, the question is, is the private garden more favorable than the non-Muslim graveyard, particularly if there's space to make a designated section for the family member? And there are many people that have big gardens that could do that. But the answer is no. We have come to that decision based upon the basic principle that actually every Muslim section in a non-Muslim graveyard starts with the one odd grave in a non-Muslim graveyard. So that's a far better uh, proposition. And uh, many times in the... Um, uh, Many times in the, um, you know what it is, I'm now fatigued, you know, I can't even think. I'm starting to mumble my sentences. Um, what was I talking about? I literally forgot the subject I was talking midway yeah, through it. Graveyard. What about graveyards? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I, I, basically, a Muslim grave in non-Muslim surroundings, in a graveyard that's respected, is actually better than one's garden because they cannot maintain the respect of the garden. There's no right of way. There is restrictions, yani legally, uh, not necessarily in burial, but for example, when the person purchases, you might not be able to sell the house afterwards. There's going to be major issues. What if you do sell the house afterwards and you want to visit that person? You don't know whether you can hold on to it, etc., etc., etc. You know, it's, it's 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 not it's not an ideal scenario, which is why it's last in our list. Could the family pray janazah by the grave 14 days after isolation is completed? Excellent question. The answer is yes. In fact. Some commentary to the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ praying over the cleaning lady uh, indicate that it happened one month after. So there's a long period of time that he missed her. And then he's like, what happened? Where's that lady gone? And they said, oh, she died away. She died, you know, a while ago and we prayed. And some said it was a month. So I think that's not a problem. Let's say, for instance, more than five people are not allowed to gather. Can there be five people on Monday and five on Tuesday and so on? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. But by the way, there is no restriction in terms of a number of people gathering at the graveyard. There's no restriction at all, in fact. Okay? Uh, 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 but you've got to use your aql restriction. And we have said 15 people. Yeah, need to be spaced out. Who will lead in taking responsibility for making the call that the situation has got to the stage where washing is not practical and it becomes permissible to bury without? Will the embassy issue a statement? Yes, the statement that I've said is the detailed guidance notes behind the actual statement that will be released. And then it's in good faith that we hope that the members are going to follow it. Now, can we oblige them to follow it? No, we can't. Are we trusting them to be able to deal with it? We are. And I guess, Diani, that, um, you know, uh, that's why I want the Muslims to get involved and make sure that they put that kind of soft, gentle, polite pressure that, that, that this is uh, thinking and absolutely our local leadership is not unified for this kind of crisis it is yani, very telling um, but we've always known that I mean that's the, 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 the worst part if the PPE is in line with the PHE guidelines cannot be sourced does washing remain obligatory I do not think it remains obligatory 
if the PPE cannot be supplied, I do not think it's obligatory, which is why I had absolutely no problem with what happened to Haji Tamur today. They did not have the full gear. They did not have to not know how to use it. They did not know how to take it off. It was the first body that they did in the MRI. Like I said, the other guys are miles ahead. Because in North Manchester, the first Muslim who passed away, the Muslim chaplain yani, in full PPE in the hospital, their works every day, trained up, doctors kitted him out. It's a whole different yani, ball game and qualified scholar versus two yani, basic guys from Vicky Park, knackered, eight, uh, uh, 60 years plus, yani, you know, wearing a, a painting, flipping decorator's outfit. Qasim, man, it was a... It was a Jazamallah khair. Wallah, I felt so sorry for them. They did a real act. Now you might say, you know what? They let us down by wiping on the on the body. No, they didn't. They did what they could do. The danger is they get used to that. The danger is that they don't. Yani, see, I told them at the end. I said it's obligatory upon you to get hold of this PPE, especially if you can purchase it. If it's not being supplied by anyone at the moment, then you need to purchase it, and we'll get funds yani, from wherever people will pay, right? And B. I said, I'm giving you volunteers. I will do a volunteer drive. He said, no, we'll get our own volunteers. You know, because the Braille community likes to keep things to their own self, Yanni. You know, they're, they're, they're tight like that. So I said, all right. Um, and uh, so I'm just saying we all need to train up as much as possible one way or the other. How are we going to do that? I'm going to have to think about that, maybe via video, whatever. Um, but it is difficult. Um, but you will need to go to the Ghusl stations and you will need to go to the mortuaries at some point to, to do the PPE training as well. But you need to do it. But I, when I offered it to him, he said, no, we're going to do this in-house. We will get the volunteers to help us. This was our first one. We're going to see. My fear is that they will not be able to get those volunteers, that they that they will comfortably take a fatwa that you don't need to wash at all because it's too much of a headache, even though they've got the full PP. That's my fear. I'm not only having suit of bun, but that's my fear. Uh, with regards to the burial, I'm curious how... No, no, don't ask about Baqir. We have no time about Baqir. That's the end. You have to come Umrah or Hajj with me to, for me to explain to you what happens in Baqir. And I'll explain to you in Baqir. Uh, did you get the questions from Facebook, by the way? Lala. You skanked them hardcore, man. All right. And if the family wanted to pray Janazah on the deceased at a later time, would the women also be allowed to go to the graveside to pray? In my personal opinion, I think it's allowed. Now, a number of the scholars are not comfortable with that idea. But in my personal opinion, I think it's allowed for the women to uh, enter the graveyard and they could add, add, enter, uh, they could join a jama'ah. But the condition, and that's because the, this, in this country they are allowed to go, the condition would be that they must not create a scene. They can become very, very emotional. Yani, you know, women are generally more emotional than men, daughters and wives yani, of, the, of the father or the husband they lose. And men are bad enough as it is, and then women can really lose it. So the situation needs to be kept under control. And if there's a fear, then the men need to take control, make sure you don't come, or you need to be making sure that you give the guarantees that this is under control, and then you can then join that janazah, small janazah prayer, to pray over your father, over your uh, mother, over your relative. I believe there's space for that. I believe this. That's my opinion, and the last panel knows best. Let's say for Ahmed, Ahmed's question. Let's say, for instance, more than five people are not allowed to gather. Can there be five people on Monday? And five on Tuesday. No, 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 no. Janazah should be just those people on that day. You shouldn't have repeated, repeated janazah just for the sake of it. What is your ruling on life insurance? No, I don't think it should be done. I don't believe life insurance is permissible. Okay. Um, so I think that's it, folks. All right. I think we have to call it. I know there's so many unanswered questions, but honest to God, Yanni, this is a two-hour session. People are going to have a heart attack. Nobody's going to watch this, Yanni, afterwards. I hope that you benefited at least something from it. I apologize for the fractured nature. Literally, my head is spinning. It's been very, very stressful the last yeah, 10 days. And um, 
but I know that this needed to be done and then it had to be rescheduled and blah, blah, blah. And mostly I want to thank the LP students for accepting that we didn't do our normal lesson today. Hopefully we can be back to normal next week and hopefully the rest of the people will join as well. Recognize it is very important for you to study, 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 to use your time beneficially. Don't waste time. You should be reading Quran more. You should be reading your Islamic books more, your tafsir more, hadith more, watching more reminders. And stop Yanni being sitting there on, on social media and doing all this research into nonsense. No one cares about your research. No one Yanni matters, not nothing matters about what you research. Leave your leave the research to the experts, leave the rulings to the scholars, and you spend your time getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and learning a deen so that after this trial you can actually be someone who says, Yeah, I I, I passed it and I pleased Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, wallahu ta'ala alam fajazakumullah khair. And maybe I might have made a lot of mistakes in the things that I've said. My guys put a disco flipping lights on. That's the reason why, Yanni, you know, I want to slap you here right now. Completely use Paki, Yanni, completely useless. Um, I told him, Yanni, what, half an hour ago, turn it off. Guy thinks he's a hero. He thinks he's a frontline doctor. But what is he? He's a dentist. Yeah? And that's the problem. That's the problem when dentists think they're doctors. Just stay in your lane. You're a dentist. You're not a hero. You're just standing getting overpaid for doing nothing. I told you to turn the light off. And you want, you know what, I'm going to fix it. And you turned it onto a strobe. And everyone's now dancing on the, on the video. <laughs> Alright guys. Zakamullah khair. On a light note, we always like to end. That's what LP is all about. Zakamullah khair. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Shadu Allah ilaha illa anta. Wa astagfirullah wa atubu. Alaykum. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.